Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst, Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. Eric alongside Rod here. Happy Thanksgiving on a day that didn't turn out the way we'd hoped for Michigan State as they fall to a... Alabama, 81-70 to 70 in the first round of the PK-85 tournament. Before we begin, I'd like to thank a new patron, patron Mark Reynolds, for joining at the uh, Draymond Green level, and also one-time gift via PayPal from Will Kurtz. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for your support. We really appreciate it. It keeps the show running and keeps things going along. Uh, did you have a nice Thanksgiving, Rod? Uh, yeah, pretty a nice one, a pretty pretty normal one um you know watch the lions manage to lose um so <laughs> it's a tradition same as it ever was um <laughs> no nah, i'm actually not that upset I, the lions can't get me upset anymore but um that that train left the station many 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 years ago but um you know whatever it was an entertaining game at least yep. um yeah it was not bad until tonight but but also not yeah. unexpected given the events of the last few days, which Absolutely. is probably what we should talk about at the outset, I guess. I think so too. Yeah. Well, I would say that I am always excited to get some pumpkin pie. I know I may be at the outlier, but I got a little pumpkin and pecan pie. So it's nice to get those once a year, sort of like eggnog. It's just sort of like a seasonal thing that I wouldn't eat a lot, but every once in a while, mm-hmm. it's really nice. Yeah. So um, since we made a recording in our preview of the show, obviously, or the game, obviously things changed quite a bit. Malik Hall got injured in practice on Monday. Uh, where he got a stress reaction in his foot, which does not require surgery. So our initial, what we initially heard was that it was potentially he would be out one to two months. And so they're expecting again, three weeks. So that's good news in what could have been a much worse news, I suppose. Uh, also, Jay Nakins, who got injured in the end of that Villanova game, it was his, his operative side, his foot, but it was not the, it was not where he had surgery. So it was a sort of a different foot injury. And so they just elected to keep him out for the game. Uh, so we were down a starter and, you know, our sixth man off the bench, probably two best athletes defensively to our, you know, better defensive players who can handle what Alabama is going to throw at us. And so in many ways, I guess, you know, things kind of went the way you expected, but before talking about the game, I guess you know, the injuries and I, I would just want to, I'll get this out for it. I'm sure this is probably something you'll want to touch on as well. Uh, I'm a little tired of people assuming that Michigan State's the only team that has injuries, uh, that there's some sort of weird, mysterious problem with our team that, uh, you know, I don't know, Izzo has them playing barefoot or something in practice and that they're more susceptible to getting these problems. You know, you don't expect now if Michigan State had a rash of rib fractures, I'd start wondering what's going on at practice. And, you know, because it's not nature of the game. Uh, but, you know, you you expect certain types of injuries in certain types of sports. Right. And so I think foot knee, ankle injuries are super common in basketball because that's what you, where all the stress is put on in your body. Uh, so, you know, I, and I think, you know, also the thought that there's always a foot injury in Michigan State is also probably not true because I don't think we had one last year. And I don't know if we even had one the year before that since Langford. How many guys, well, okay, here's, here's right. Here's, here's the better question. So Mateen Cleaves had one, which caused him to miss the entirety of the non-conference schedule in uh, the national championship season. Okay. So that's one Um, Josh Langford, certainly, but that, that was in terms of everything I have heard, that was a very, very unique situation. Um, And one that, 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 you know, Look, probability and odds is is a tough game to play. And sometimes, 
you come up snake eyes and it feels it feels to me that that was that was what happened to josh you know yeah um beyond that i mean you know Kalen lucas had an injury that was very serious it wasn't a foot injury it was an achilles you know mm-hmm. um as you say there's certain types of injuries that happen to basketball players because it's the nature of the sport that they're playing the stress that they're putting those parts of the body under right i mean i'm, I'm no yeah. doctor but that that would be my general <laughs> assumption and this idea that it only happens to michigan state look alabama can tell you about injuries the burnett kid who was playing tonight missed all of last season with a lower body injury uh quinterly who played very well tonight i thought especially in the second half um he he got hurt in the end of this uh, in the end, their NCAA tournament loss last year, and uh, you know it's a, considered a miracle that he's fought his way back. But they've had everybody has injuries. I mean, I remember a year yeah. not not all that long ago where Michigan's entire season went in the toilet because Karis Levert got hurt um, with a lower body injury. I think that was something to do with a knee. So the, the, yeah, and th- that stuff is so tired. That talk, the talk about this is why you needed to go into the portal. Well, first of all, point of order, about 95% of the portal talk was about MSU refusing to go get a five-man. If they'd gone and gotten a five-man, that wouldn't have helped what ailed them here. And secondly, whatever you – they did try on a couple guys. They tried on a kid named Jalen Bridges, who was a very good player. If they'd gotten Jalen Bridges, okay, that would have been a big addition. That's a guy who can play at roughly the Malik called Jaden Aikens level. They tried. They didn't get him. Micah Parrish, a kid from Oakland who ended up at San Diego State. Um, I don't know. He's put up some numbers. I watched him play the last two nights. I'm not convinced he moves the needle for Michigan State. And that's the problem, ultimately, is that if you're going to tell me that you think it's a simple thing to go get a guy – one who is capable of helping at anywhere close to the level Paul and Aikens are, and two, said player would be willing to play a limited role just waiting around for somebody to get hurt, stop watching sports. Just stop. You don't understand (laughs) enough. So, look, it's, it's not fun. It's not what you want. You know, optimally, it's a rare thing that Michigan State uh, would have two guys out at the same time. Doesn't happen very often, but it's happened. This is the way it is. I can tell you this. My mindset, despite what I just witnessed, is far more optimistic than I was roughly you know, 54, 55 hours ago. Um, because Correct. I first heard about this on Tuesday right around noon. And at that time, the person I heard about it from said was using said that they had heard they had come to understand that it might be season ending so that's where the journey started for me was <laughs> yeah. they might have lost Malik call for for the season then later that same day so we're talking tuesday night i had heard stress fracture one to two months and then that turned into what eventually has been disclosed which is a stress reaction not a fracture so my my understanding and since you're the only one with an md on their wall um i'll I'll defer to you but my understanding is the stress reaction is essentially catching a problem before it becomes a fracture right so i think that's i think that's accurate um so that's what they've done here And they're talking about three weeks. Well, if they stick to that timeline and he's able to play, um, you know, that, that means you've essentially got him back before Christmas. (laughs) Now that, that doesn't get you out of the woods completely because you've got the rest of this tournament, which we'll talk about. You've got, um, you've got a road game at Notre Dame, and then you've got those two big 10 games at Penn State and at home against Northwestern. So you've still got a number of games that you got to get through. But if you can get through those, and even if you lose some more, which they very well might, um, this isn't an impossible 
task by any means to get things right back on track, particularly since I also expect them to have Aikens back, I would assume, for Notre Dame. Now, I know they've sat him out, and given that they sat him out in this one, I would expect he doesn't play tomorrow either. Who knows about Sunday? The way this tournament works, they take Saturday off. So they're going to play tomorrow night. Bad news for all of you listening to this. It's the late game, 1230. Um, but, uh, but after that, they get the day off, and then they go back at it on Sunday to wrap it up against whomever they're playing. So maybe Aikens plays in that one. I don't know. My, what I have been told, and this is the same person who told me about Hall, same person who updated me on Aikens, went from 50-50 to you know, less than 25% this morning to him not playing. Um, what I have been told is that um, this is not the same injury. It's the same foot. It's not the same injury. They don't believe it's severe at all. And here's the important part, which puts it into perspective. If this were an NCAA tournament game, he would have played. That's what I was told. So that doesn't mean you've got yeah. somebody who's completely incapacitated. It means that they're doing exactly what Izzo said they were going to do, which is not risk anything further happening to him for the sake of playing three games in Portland. And so just to help you keep your our listeners, keep their heads together, that's what's going on. Um, so, you know, look, things can go wrong when it comes to injuries, you know, but <laughs> Nobody thought Joshua Langford would go on the journey he went on. You know, uh, now I think that's an extreme outlier, but you never know. So we're hopeful that with Malik Hall, it's three weeks and that takes care of it. But, you know, we've got to see. But that's that's the situation. And so for me, that changed pretty dramatically the way this tournament shakes out. And in particularly this game tonight, because. It could not have been worse where those injuries happened for Michigan State in terms of facing Alabama because, as you all just yeah, got right. done seeing, you know, Brandon Miller, who's the guy that Malik Hall certainly would have guarded, and I wouldn't have been surprised to see a healthy Jaden Akins get a crack at him too, um, that Michigan State just did not have a good defensive matchup for him, and, boy, he took advantage of it. I mean, he was yeah. really, really I mean, he was really, really good and, and pretty dominant when the game was won, you know, um, sure. some yeah. things hats off to him for what he did. Yeah. yeah. It was, you know, he did exactly what you would expect. Uh, you know, you see a, a weakness and you exploit it. Very talented kid, every bit the player that he's r- reported to be. Uh, but would I have liked to see what would have happened if Malik Hall was guarding him? Yes, I would. Um, you know, I think it was just, uh, <laughs> I'm disappointed in some of the things that Michigan State did and didn't do. But on the other hand, there were some good things here, believe it or not. And the fact is, for 19 minutes, they played about as well as I could have expected them to play, all things considered. Just the roof started caving in right at the end of the first half. And then, again, it was Brandon Miller and then Brandon Miller early in the second half. And it was basically game over. You know, but I liked the way they, they fought. I liked the way that uh, the five men played for the most part. Um, I think Trey Holloman showed out. I thought Tyson Walker played really well. His shooting numbers weren't spectacular, but I liked the aggressiveness he played with. Um, you know, that's probably about where it stops. But uh, there were there were some <laughs> some of those things I like. And, you know, we can talk also about the things I didn't like, too. So. You never want to just minimize everything, but I think it's important to, to to just take a step back, look at the calendar. It's November. It's not it's not February or March. And so these losses, yes, you want to win every game you can play. It's, you know, important for seeding at the end of the season. But what's most important is to make sure that when you get whatever seeding you get, that you have the full complement of players and you have your maximum, yeah. you know, strength going in, right? So to jeopardize someone at this stage, like, you know, Aikens, it doesn't make any he's sense just at not all. Gonna, he's and, just not going to do it. Yeah. No, right. And, 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 you know, and as far as Hall goes, it's November. You know, when you look at winning championships, would you rather win the Big Ten or would you rather win the PK-85? I mean, there's no question, and right? I, and I will say this. For anybody who wants to get upset about, oh, this is going to have an impact on seeding in March. Well, first of all, you got to get there. And I know Michigan State <laughs> fans are spoiled 
And, and look, I don't think this team at this point, it, it would be alarmist in the extreme talk about that, but it, it does actually add up when you think about the things you just mentioned, you got to play this for the long run. So you want Malik Hall and Jay Makins to be able to impact the lion's share of your season rather than cashing your chips on a tournament in November. Come on. Yeah. Look, by the way, the yeah. last time they held one of these events, the PK 80 Michigan state won it. Anybody care in 2022 <laughs> that they won that? No, they mostly care about the fact that they couldn't hit a shot against Syracuse, you know, in March. Right. So that, that tells you these things are great events. They're fun basketball. They're, they give you opportunities to develop and learn things as a team. I'm the biggest booster you can find of them, but they don't make or break a season. For Michigan State, even if you're concerned about March implications, I would tell you this. Generally speaking, almost pretty much any season I've ever witnessed – what Michigan State will get is what they deserve based on what they do in the Big Ten. And with the way the Big Ten is shaking out right now, I would suggest, and this is a good news, bad news proposition, I think the league <laughs> looks a little better than I thought it would. Yeah. Um, and so we're still likely going to be talking about a lot of um, significant, significant wins once you get into the league and that takes care of, you know, you take care of business in the big 10, you're taking care of business in terms of what your March looks like. And, and then the other thing too, is since when has Michigan state needed a one seed to do damage? You know, yeah, I mean, exactly. they've, they've, uh, yeah, they had won the national championship season. They also had one in 2012 and got beat in sweet 16. I got to think of a lot of other seasons. They made it to a final four and elite eight and they didn't have a one seed. So I, I, I do not think at this point, I am, and, and maybe I'll be proven wrong, but despite the, the strong start to the year, I have not gotten close to believing that this is a likely team to be a one seed, you know, come March. I, maybe yeah. they will surprise us and, and they win the Big Ten and they'll get there. But I, I, I'm not really too concerned about that stuff, which is why I can't get exercised about a loss like this. By the way, We'd also be saying all these same things if Michigan State had played with a full complement of, of players and had the same result tonight. I, I, sure. I guarantee you that because I've said these things many, many times before. Um, it's too bad. Outside of being more surprised that it, that they lost this badly. Yes, you know, or that, that right. Badly, but, you know, if they lost the same that, way, yeah. And that probably yeah. you know, that would have been more troubling, obviously. Yeah. But still not cause to, you know, lose your head. Um, right. But yeah, it was, I, I think, you know, if we, if we talk about, um, for me, probably the most disappointing thing in this game, it's, uh, it's Pierre Brooks. Um, Pierre Brooks is going to have an opportunity, no matter what, to stake a claim to a consistently bigger role. He has to, and that will be true even if Jaden, even when Jaden Akins comes back. Um, they're still going to play Pierre more because Malik's out. And so, you know, you, you saw him maybe playing a little bit of four tonight, although we saw a lot of Carson Cooper at four, which was, you know, out of necessity, but was still interesting. Not surprising to me, but interesting. Um, and, uh, and so Pierre's going to get those minutes. And, you know, I, look, I'm not expecting Pierre Brooks to become Malik Hall overnight that's that's not going to happen but you hope to see signs defensively and and this was an extremely extremely tough cover for him to have to guard miller that's a that's a challenge but i i didn't like what i didn't like was not that he gave up baskets i didn't like the way that that happened because a lot of it especially a couple of segments late in that first half and especially even more so the last one were not moments where you say, Oh, Pierre's just a step slow, right? It wasn't that it was mental. It was failure to recognize a situation. And, and that's more troubling because what I want to see is I want to see a guy using better judgments and making smarter decisions on the defensive end. And I didn't see that tonight. So that was disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. I would say in general, 
they just seem disconnected a lot of times in defense. Yeah. And, and I think some of that you can attribute to the fact that people may be a little bit out of position. They're still not For sure. playing with each other on the floor, sure. right? We're, look, there were some lineups out there tonight that, <laughs> good God, <laughs> I mean, you just would not ever have anticipated seeing, right? And and you're also talking about, in my mind, when you lose Aikens and Hall, you're talking about, I think this is fair to say, given the start to Malik Hall's season, you're talking about two of their best defensive players, and it becomes a domino effect too. You know, yeah, you right. lose those guys. Well, maybe Hogard or or Walker feel they've got to do more, and then they get out of position. You know, um, yep. There was a lot. MSU had a lot of trouble with the blowbys in this game, which which led to a lot of dunks for Alabama. And some of that was a strategic choice, I think. Michigan State was playing up to try to limit threes. Remember, this is a team when their last game took 46 three-point shots. Well, MSU didn't want to do that, didn't want to let them do that. And they didn't, but they paid for it. Um, and I think, but again, I think some of that was a domino effect. You just you've got guys in different spots guarding different players than they normally would be, and it and it becomes difficult to keep the whole thing together, you know? Um, yeah. So that I didn't like, you know, MSU, obviously, especially in the second half, just couldn't buy a shot. And that's not an excuse. It's just that it happens. They had a lot of good looks. that didn't go <laughs> just, I yeah. just the way, just the way it is. Right. I think, you know, that they, they, it's contagious. I think, you know, Walker was the one, only one who's kind of seemed to have. Even he of, went through a stretch in the second half where he, he got yeah, good shots. Yeah, they had shots. that six-minute stretch where it got stretched out to, what, 16 points 18. or so. And that kind he of, got I as mean, big that was as 18. Of, yeah. 18. Yeah, just kind of finished yeah, the game at exactly, that point. Yeah, because they just couldn't. It was it was funny. They had, um, if I remember the way it went, they had gotten it down to eight and actually had a couple of possessions where they could have gotten it even closer. And they just could hit a shot and eventually Alabama started hitting some shots and that was the ball game. You know, they just put, it was the final nail in the coffin. Um, so that's one of those things, you know, that's going to happen again. That's not making excuses. I, I think Alabama was, they played better defensively than I thought they might. They were tough, but again, you take two of your top six out of the lineup, I I'd like to see Alabama guard the real Michigan state. I'm not saying they couldn't do a job, but I'd like to see it. Well, let me read Pierre Brooks stat line before we get off Brooks here. So he played 33 minutes. So he had the third highest amount of minutes in the game. He was two for six from the field, one to four from three. He had nine rebounds okay. four of them offensive. He had uh, a one turnover and you know, ended with five points. So uh, the one thing I like about Brooks and I, uh, I'm hoping the defense sort of comes around, you know, the defensive awareness, the you know, recognition, you got to play 30 seconds of defense, right? Not 28 or 26 yep. or whatever. Um, I like the fact that he's not afraid to get, to mix it up and to get in there. And I mean, I think it shows when he, with his rebounding, especially in the offensive end, I mean, he had four of the offense rebounds for the team, led the team in rebounds by quite a bit. And then, and then, um, so, you know, in that sense, I think he was a plus, I know he got lost a lot of defense and there's no question about that, but I think a lot of that comes to being out there and getting used to playing. And I think, and, you know, seeing sets from other teams and stuff. And I, you know, I, I recognize the, the problem and I know people want him to be further along, but I also, I think we also remind ourselves he has not played much. Well, that I mean, is true. It's not often you get a guy like Sissoko just who has never played and then comes in and actually looks pretty good, like he knows what he's doing. I think it's much more likely that it's going to be like a Brooks where you have a guy who just needs some time. Yeah, that's true. And look, I'm, I'm impressed with the rebounding numbers. I, I didn't realize he'd gotten quite that many. Um, but I still, I just, here's the, I'll try to put a finer point on it. I do not expect him to be all defense. But he, here's the deal. Pierre Brooks has some physical limitations to be able to guard wings. That's just a, the truth. His foot speed is not, you know, and lateral movement is not ideal. So if you're going to improve that, you can do two things that can help you if you have those physical limitations. One of them is you can get in great shape. 
and I don't think he's in great shape. I think he's in good shape. I don't think he's in great shape. And and there is a difference, right? And you know that's mm-hmm. something I I compared him when he was being recruited um, to Denzel Valentine. And he's not the same player Denzel was. He's certainly not the ball handler Denzel was. But I, I saw similarities in terms of their body type and their versatility. And I still think that there are some similarities there. But, you know, Denzel got himself into really good shape over the course of his MSU career. And he was ahead of where Pierre is now. So that's the first thing. The second thing that Denzel did that that really, really made him gave him a chance to be the star that he became is he used his head to become a better defensive player. The way that you get better when you have that kind of physical limitation is you start thinking the game better than your opponents. And that mm-hmm. comes with film study that comes with, you know, an ability to translate what you're seeing on film to the court, all of those things. Pierre Brooks is a very smart kid. He was a, I believe he was a four point student in high school um, you know, he's, he's not a dumb guy. So I believe that the intellectual horsepower is probably there. Sometimes that doesn't always translate to basketball IQ, but offensively I've seen enough of him over the years. I think he's a smart player, but he's got to start finding ways to translate that and impact the basketball, the game on the court that way. That's how he's going to be able to make a difference. And right now I'm not, I haven't seen it yet. I want to see it. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a big fan, and I, and I think he's got, he's got certain elements that this team really can use, but he's got, he's got to change. He's got to make changes in terms, of, in terms of what he's doing. It's clear to me. I can't speak to all the specifics. No one out who's not inside the program can, but I can just tell you this game tonight, I saw no difference in in any from any other game I've seen him play in terms of his defensive awareness. And if that doesn't improve, he's not going to get where he needs to be. So I like the rebounding. I agree with you. And I've mentioned that in earlier games that he will show you flashes as a rebounder. But man, if he can't check better, he can't play a major role. And so he's got the opportunity now. I mean, it's there for the next three weeks. Pierre Brooks is going to play a lot of basketball. And so he has every opportunity he could ever ask for to demonstrate clearly why he deserves a consistent major role on this team. And it's up to him. And I would say, too, when it comes to, you know, if you want to look at a silver lining for an injury, not that you ever want anyone injured, (laughs) I mean, clearly, but an injury early in the season, it allows opportunities for people who may not even later in the season get as many minutes, but it allows me opportunity to get that experience so that when they do come in later, they're much more seasoned and they have a better idea what's going on. And I think you're getting like Brooks is a great example, a guy who we probably would not have expected playing more than 10, 12 minutes, maybe this game, you know, now he's playing 33, but also you see Jackson Kohler. Yep. He logs uh, 19 minutes. He plays almost a ha- He plays more than Sissoko actually, who played 17 mm-hmm. Carson Cooper played 12 minutes and uh, you're seeing and Holloman even got in for 15 and they actually, we saw kind of a three guard lineup with he and Hogard and, and um, Walker. And I, you know, I think those we've seen this in Michigan state where players come in because of injury and they end up playing. And I, you know, Tillman, I think that's why he really got his start right. When, uh, when, when um, I can't think of his name right now. No, well, no, uh, that's, that's when he, Nick, or was it because Nick Ward's, it was because Nick of Ward's injury is Nick what Ward. cemented Xavier Tillman becoming a star? Okay, yeah, but he was a sophomore then. Xavier Tillman forced his way as a freshman into a rotation that didn't look like it had room for him. Um, right, but he became a starter because of it. Right, I mean he took yes, the, he took the that's position true. with went forward. Yeah, and, yeah, and look, I I am I am with you. I think all three of those guys you mentioned, I think, did positive things tonight and so it's good to see them have an opportunity in a high level game to play meaningful minutes and what you hope is that they learn from it and that ends up helping them translate to playing winning basketball in february you know and march right um right now a game like that is probably a little bit much for those three guys but they all did positive things so i think it was on balance 
you know, that's one of the things I like. You know, the big men, again, Alabama has a lot of length, a lot of athletes, and I was impressed by it. But I didn't think Kohler and Cooper backed down. And I thought they they got some things done. I don't know what Jackson's final numbers were, but I felt he played pretty well. I'll tell you, he played 19 minutes. He's three of eight from the field. And I think he had a couple of his misses, boy, you think I, more more often than not, he's going to yes. make those, some, you know, short shots. He's over two from the line, which is a little disappointing. He had seven rebounds. He's four, four of them offensive. Uh, he had an assist and a block and yeah, and Cooper had and Cooper was one of two from the line. That's pretty much all he did. But he had two blocks and he had two re, two defensive boards. Yeah, the the both of his blocks I thought showed really good defensive instincts, and I think you can see yes. where the projection is for him in time. This is going to be a guy who's going to help you defensively, help you defend the rim. Um, so I feel good about that. With Jackson, I I was really impressed. You know, it's funny. I didn't really the the number you just quoted me on Pierre Brooks rebounding surprised me a little didn't seem to me he had that many rebounds but Jackson Kohler absolutely I was aware had that many rebounds Mm -hmm. I thought he did a really nice job because look we saw and we talked about it in the preview right that Alabama was number one in the country in offensive rebounding we knew they were good because they've been good under Oates but we didn't know how good they'd be Michigan State might be able to you know, uh, stay hang in there with them. Well, we saw they're legitimately a good offensive rebounding team. And yet yeah. I thought Jackson Kohler really did a nice job. And, and it's not the first time we've seen it. He seems no. to me to be one of those guys. And, and look, you can talk about lots of different aspects of rebounding. You know, there's definitely technical aspects in terms of, you know, consistently being able to put a body on, on somebody and carve out space, right? Um, and there are physical aspects that you need to be strong. You need to be strong enough to, to secure a rebound through contact, all of those things. But the guys who are really, really good, I do believe there's some innate stuff that's hard to teach. And we have mm-hmm. talked about this before, that there are certain yeah. guys that just have a quicker recognition or a sense of where the ball is going to go and they get themselves there. And Jackson Kohler, I mean, in a game like that, you would have thought there would have been some moments where like, well, he just got beat by a guy who's a better athlete and you know, that kind of thing. Right. I didn't really see it. Not rebounding wise. No. And there have been other times this year where he's shown up that way. So I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic and, and you guys can do this. I mean, somebody like Matt Costello Now, Matt Costello was a better athlete than Jackson Kohler, but he wasn't a world beating athlete. He wasn't a great leaper. And <laughs> yeah. Matt Costello became a very, very good rebounder in time, you know, cause he just had a knack for it. There are lots of guys like that. So, um, I, I liked what I saw from those guys. And again, Carson, the one thing I would say is his guards would do him a great favor by, I'm going to use an old Judd Heathcote term, by KYP, meaning know your personnel. <laughs> yeah. Because when they're trying to hit him with a high-velocity wraparound pass or something in traffic, that's not the guy to put in that spot. You know, he doesn't have the hands and he hasn't played enough to feel comfortable where he's going to convert on those plays. But I liked the effort he played with. I thought he showed some things defensively. And, you know, so that's that's okay. And Mahdi wasn't great, but Mahdi was all right. Um, you know, collectively, I don't think the fives were the problem here. I think that that game was, was lost primarily because they couldn't do a whole hell of a lot with Miller or Quinterly. Yeah, no question. Yeah, I think that was it. And, you know, uh, the other thing, I think Kohler is just sneaky good when it comes to rebounding. And I just don't, I mean, again, to your point, I don't know why. That one rebound, offensive rebound he had where he got it and and never brought the ball down, gathered, just sort of spun in the air and just shot it before anyone could react and kind of jump, leap again and got that uh-huh. uh, put back yep. uh, from like, I don't know, six feet or something like that. That was really impressive to me and it showed that his, that he just a, a level of intelligence and I mean, maybe we'll see. I think Brooks has the same sort of, I don't know, that innate rebounding, have an idea where the ball's going because, as you said, point out, he's not some 
he's not like a phenomenal athlete, but he seems to always be around the ball when it's, you know, he should be a good rebounder. I've seen enough of him over time to believe yeah, that right. he should be. Um, so maybe the rest it, comes along. Here's to the other thing point. too, you know, uh, on this Brooks and Kohler front, um, Kohler from everything I've heard, well, you know, he's got similar physical limitations, you know, not great lateral quickness. Um, you know, th- those kinds of things are, are an issue. Um, he works apparently very, very hard in the film room. He shows a lot in terms of effort. And so, and I've seen enough. I'm not saying Jackson Kohler is any kind of great defender, but I have to admit, I think he's been at least a shade better than I'd expected. You know, um, there haven't mm-hmm. been a lot of moments, d- despite the level of competition he's faced, which has been very high level. There haven't been a lot of moments where I felt like he was embarrassed. And I think that's because he's working at it. You know, so Pierre's got to pick up a little bit of that. Yeah. Well, I think that's the case. And, and the last thing I've just mentioned is I feel like when it comes to Kohler and Cooper, I feel like Cooper's always about one game behind. Like, you know, when at the carrier game, Cooper seemed totally lost. Yes. And Kohler seemed like, yeah, you know, okay. And then uh, Kentucky, same thing. Like Cooper was, again, and this game I felt like Cooper was in the right place, but he wasn't expecting passes. Like he, I, he's still kind of, you know, I think a little bit thinking, okay, Hogarth's driving in. I'm going to get ready for the rebound and then ball like bounce off his shoulder or something because he just didn't expect it to come. And so I think those things will come. I mean, I, I definitely like the, and I love the fact that he blocked the ball. It didn't hit it 20 feet out, out of bounds. He just, you know, he kept it in bounds yep. where you could go on a break, both those blocks. Yeah. You know, it's maybe the nature where, you know, they were coming straight at the basket. And so it's a little bit different, but well, let's talk about the keys to the game and sort of get through these uh, as I didn't mention earlier, but uh, I'm out West. And so this is actually not as painful a recording. <laughs> show us on the road as it is for uh, Rod, who's back home. Uh, we're obviously past, well past midnight Eastern time. So uh, well defending one. the arc was the first thing. <laughs> past, yeah, I, I'm, you know, I'm Pacific time. I have no idea what is, uh, what time anything is right now. I was, it was weird just watching the Lions game at nine in the morning. So, uh, so uh, the def- defending the arc, Alabama shot eight of 23. So they only put a 23, which I thought was pretty good. They had a 63 field goal attempt. So, um, you know, yeah. about a third of their shots were threes and they only hit it a little over 33%, which is about what they've been shooting in the season. So I don't think aside from a couple of those by Brandon Miller, who was four or seven from three, they pretty much contained Alabama pretty well. I thought at the, on the arc. They did. And they look, they made a conscious choice. I said, one of the, one of the things I had an issue with was there were a lot of blow buys. Um, but part of that was because Michigan state, I felt was really making a commitment to limit the three looks that Alabama had. And, and so that was, you know, that was fairly effective. I'm not going to say it was an a plus kind of effort, but they weren't bad in limiting, you know, the, the main thing you want to do as we talked about, is you start by limit the attempts and I don't feel, what'd you say it was 23. 23, eight yeah, that's yeah. not that. That's pretty. That's pretty average. For it might be you know one or two more than an average Division One team takes, and Alabama, as we know, is a well above average team in terms of the number of threes they take. But you know, credit to them. I think they did what you should do in that scenario, which is okay. You're going to press up on us and try to, to take the three, take away the three. We're going to try and take you to the basket, and they got a lot done there. I mean, there were a lot of dunks by guys in crimson. Number two key to the game was defensive rebounding. And, and I'm going to go out on a limb at this point and say, I think this is a pretty good rebounding team that we've got. Uh, you know, I know we're, we're missing Hall. We're missing Aikens in this game. And when you look at just overall rebounds, uh, they had 42 and we had 40. Oh, wait, we had 42 and they had 43, 40. So we out-rebounded them. Uh, you look at offensive rebounding percentage, Michigan State offensive rebound percentage was 37%. Uh-huh. And Alabama, 31%, which is... That's uh, a win. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's, a, that's a huge win. That's a win. I mean, yeah, and so I think, uh, I think you know, from a rebounding standpoint, we were really solid. Yeah, there were a couple that 
everyone you watch is painful yeah. <laughs> when it happens, but we had more than they did as far, offensive rebounds. Obviously. I, I so, will say this and I don't have the numbers in front of me. I'm not sure you do either, but I do. I do. Okay. Now, yeah. Um, what were the second chance points though? Second chance points. So now I got to, let's see. Second chance points for Michigan state 15 for Alabama 11. That strikes me as incorrect, but I'm not, I'm not going to question it. Um, it seemed yeah. to me, my sense of it was that Alabama was cashing in a lot on offensive boards. Like that was the, that was the thing that it anecdotally, it struck me as, as I was watching the game is it seemed, it seemed like Alabama was really converting at a high, fairly high clip on those chances they did get. But boy, you add all of that up. I have to say it's not terrible. Let me tell you the terrible thing <laughs> right now then, because our next key to the game turnovers yeah. Yeah. and points off turnovers. Alabama had 18 points off turnovers. Michigan state had seven. There's your game. Uh, turnover that's, numbers. That's the margin. Yeah. Turnover numbers. Michigan state only had 11 turnovers. Alabama had 10. And so, you know, Alabama is one of the worst turnover teams in the country. They only turned it over 10 yeah. times. And again, you know, this is, I think more than anything, a reflection of the fact that Aikens and Hall weren't there. And so you're, and so you weren't putting as much stress on those guards. You, yeah. you couldn't, you know, guys like Hogarth and Walker who are, are very effective at creating mistakes, in the opposition, you know, getting steals that that wasn't happening with regularity tonight. And I think in part it's because they had to play it a little differently. You know, again, I, I would like to see, this team again i would i would not have qualms about michigan state facing this team in march with a full complement of their players and that's not to denigrate no alabama you know the other thing you could say is alabama is a very young team they got a whole lot of potential to get even better and that's true but i just think uh, yeah, I would like to have seen that matchup, but that's that's definitely a big problem. That's really that's really really a huge difference, which tells you as much as anything that Michigan State's turnovers were almost all of the variety that led to easy points for Alabama. I mean, that's when you have a when you have eighteen points on eleven turnovers, that's ludicrous. That's crazy efficiency. Yeah. I mean, that's bordering on a basket every turnover you force or get. Pretty much, yeah, right. So yeah. that's, that's yeah, that's a big key to the game. You're right about that. And it is interesting, too, this far into the season. I think we can safely say, and, and I'll regret saying this, I'm sure, but this is not a turnover-laden team, this Michigan State team. I mean, this is not a team that's, that's not so far. that is a I usual mean, early season, 20 turnovers occasionally in a game or something like that. We've... We're usually sitting around 10, it's been, 11. I mean, it's, been it's up not and amazing. It's been up and down. The, the Gonzaga and Kentucky yeah. games, they had a lot of turnovers. Uh, they yeah, were. Like fifth, but again, it's still only 15 or so. It's mm. not like we're coughing up 18, no, 20 times. No, I think it was higher than that. You think against, I'm, am I wrong? Yeah, I think against Gonzaga for sure, and I, I want to say Kentucky too. We'd have to look at well, it. Well, Kentucky, we played an extra but, 10 minutes. But, but, yeah, okay. but the Villanova game, I think they only had 12. This one, you're saying they only had 11. And, and this one, too, the, the, this Alabama game, different from Villanova, this was played at a fairly, you know, you saw it. Alabama wants to play fast. It's a fast too. pace. Yeah. So that, yeah. that 11 turnover number is not terrible. It kind yeah. of, it, it, just you, you, you hear all of this, and truthfully, what I think it comes down to is that points off turnovers number, the difference there, so it's the nature of the mistakes as much as the mistakes themselves. And then, I guess, shooting. Michigan State. What was Michigan State's final field goal percentage overall? Uh, final field goal percentage for Michigan State was uh, was 44%. Really? 35%. I'm sorry. That's Alabama. It's 44%. Sorry. And 35% from three. And Michigan State was 33%. There you go. There's your ball. Or 39%. 39% yeah, and 28%. But, yeah, it definitely is different. Yep. Well, and the and the points of turnovers. I mean, the difference is eleven points. And that, well, that's the difference I, I in the think, score you too, know, right? MSU in that second half, as we we talked about earlier, had a lot of decent looks that they just didn't hit. I I also thought yeah. this. I know AJ Hogard ended up with a nice scoring number, but 
I didn't like a lot. I didn't like AJ Hogarth's game for a lot of this one. And, and in part, it was because of the things you saw him do later in the game when he started to get it going. I'm not talking about the two threes. He had, it was obvious early in the game that if he got himself into the paint, the guys guarding him really couldn't stop it physically, you know, mm-hmm. and he just didn't do it with any consistency at all. And I, I just find it's the things that drive me crazy about this guy because you see the good things that he is capable of doing, but he didn't do them at a point in time where it mattered, where it could have settled Michigan State down. You know, Michigan State, I say that they missed a lot of good shots, and I do, I'd do. i stand by that, but the one thing I would say is they were relying on a lot of jumpers. When you've got a guy who's capable of getting himself into the lane and converting the way Hogarth can, man, that ought to be what you go to instinctually when you're going through a run, you know, two or three possessions in a row, you can't get a bucket. Go to something that's high percentage. Go to something that you know has a great chance of producing points. And he just he just didn't do it. Um, yeah. I also think, and again, I'll give credit to Alabama for this. I don't know what MSU's final assist numbers were, but they were Not they good. were extremely low for a nine assists. Yeah, that's on how many made field goals? Twenty four. Yeah, that's awful. You know, and, and there are teams that can play winning basketball with numbers like that. There's not just one way to skin a cat. But Michigan State basketball, that's a very bad indicator. Now, some of that is because they missed so many shots that, you know, yeah. there would have been assists that weren't assists because they missed shots. But, um, you know, ball movement, I did not think was great. Yeah, I think a lot of those Walker scores were with just him dribbling and getting yeah. open and so that you're not going to insist had, on and, those, and right? give Tyson Walker credit for that because God help us if he had not done that stuff, <laughs> you know? Yeah, but, totally. But, you know, that that's an indication that your offense, a Michigan State offense at least, is not flowing. I don't know what, you know, honestly – I'll give Alabama credit, I guess, for the way they defended the pick and roll, but I thought MSU really didn't get very much done there, and I was surprised and disappointed by that because I thought there was probably an opportunity with a fairly young group. You know, I thought they might have had some chances to get Mati Sissoko on rim dives, and that just never materialized. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, you're right. They didn't get much. Yeah, and just to get as a contrast – Alabama had 19 assists on 28 made baskets. So, you know, there's yeah. a huge difference Yeah, I mean, here. just, yeah, just not, not MSU yeah, so ball movement. Next one is transition. And, uh, you know, fast break points, for whatever it's worth in the final things, it's uh, Alabama had 12, which is actually kind of weird since they had 18 points of turnovers. Uh, they had 12 off uh, fast break points. Michigan State had 10. I thought Michigan State occasionally had the yeah, break going. Yeah, not, not I don't know. the way. It was nothing super impressive, I don't not think. Not the and way you'd, you'd hope to see it. And not it, what we'd hope for. And again, give Alabama credit because I thought there was a possibility with a young group hadn't seen it, anything like Michigan State, that they might struggle a little more. That said, I also don't think Michigan State was going full tilt, and you can understand why. Because when you're yeah. short numbers, it becomes much more difficult. You know that that's the big problem with the next few weeks is they're probably not going to be able to play the way they'd really like to. You know, just because of the depth, because of the numbers, you can't. Mm-hmm. You know, the bodies, it's hard to play that way. Yeah, and uh, you wondered a little bit the offensive rebounding numbers. Maybe that had a little bit of effect to that Alabama wasn't crashing as hard as they could. I don't know. It looked like they were. Oh, trying I to, thought but, they were. Uh, I, no, I, I, I give Michigan State full credit for the rebounding job. I thought they, you know, obviously the the numbers tell a really good story. And I thought anecdotally, just watching it, I thought they competed. I thought they battled. Yeah, that's next. That's next one. Toughness, right? I think you know from a toughness standpoint, they were. They didn't, despite the deficiencies having down Aikens and Hall, they, they were, I thought they were the tougher team at times during that game, which is impressive. I didn't think the guards were, especially early in the game, I didn't, I didn't love how they weren't really strong with the ball. I thought there was a little yeah. bit of an issue there. But, yeah, you, you know, the compete level was good. I just think... Um, 
it's hard to it's hard to come down on them too much for it because look ment- the, the mental aspect of things was not there michigan state did not think this game at a high level but part of the reason that was the case is they had a lot of guys playing a lot of minutes who don't normally do that and so that's going to happen you know i can't I can't really get, you know, Pierre Brooks, I'm going to be a little harder on because he's in his second year in the program. And because, you know, he's a guy who I know thinks he deserves to play. And Mm -hmm. so if that's the case, okay, well, you know, the onus is on you then. You got to think it at a high level, right? Um, The freshman, I can't, I can't get upset as much about Carson Cooper or Jackson Kohler or Trey Holloman blowing an assignment, you know? that's to be expected from guys in their position. They will get better. They will learn. Um, but I, I do think the, the effort part of that equation was definitely there tonight. I thought Michigan state competed hard. I also think too, and it's not a major thing, but they got down 18 and everything was tilting against them. And it would have been easy to fold the tent and they didn't do that. Yep. They kept playing, got it as close as eight, and and so I'll give them a little bit of credit for that. Not too much, but enough. Yeah, I don't know. That weird three-point uh, foul again. Another like a when Holloman. It, yeah, that wasn't sure a foul. It looked like he fouled. That wasn't a foul. Yeah, even, that's the second three-pointer. And that one, I don't know. I mean, it was down to eight points. And had they, it looks like they got the stop there. And then, you know, hits the three free throws and kind of can't. And then you can't, there's no margin for, you know, error at that point of the game with that little time left. But I will say this. Um whether he got him or not, and I agree with that. I don't think he got him when you looked at the replay. But <laughs> you cannot give a referee any opportunity to call yeah. a foul on you 20 feet from the basket on a jump shooter at the end of the shot clock. That kid was taking a bad shot, you know, a fourth mm-hmm. shot. And maybe he hits it, but probably not. And you just have discretion needs to be the better part of valor, right? And and yeah. that was an example of it. And I'm not going to get too upset about it because Trey Holloman's still learning. And it was an effort yeah. mistake, you know. But um, yeah, you just can't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no question. And the guy was zero for four up to that right. point. So you just can't. Likely. You yeah. can't do it. Well, I think we've probably talked about all that we need to talk about with this game. I think it's, you know, the unfortunate nature of the injuries affected more of this than, you know, anything else. And so now we're going to have to sort of figure out how to reimagine how to play with each other uh, with the, the minutes and uh, lineups and such. The next uh, next up, though, it doesn't get, e- I guess it does get a little bit easier, but it, but the, the big name programs keep coming. Oregon, right? Oregon's next. Oregon played Connecticut and they got destroyed by by UConn and so we'll get them in the, this console I guess it's like a consolation match sort of you know in the uh, in this tournament losers the losers bracket I guess you'd say uh and I you know I don't know I didn't have a chance to watch much of the game so I all I know is that Oregon's been a mess this year and and I know they've got some good players but I think they've had some injuries uh that, that's putting it mildly so <laughs> if you're feeling sorry for yourself because Michigan State as these injuries, uh, this gets back around to what we were talking about at the outset, the myopia that some fans go through. Talk to a fan of the Oregon Ducks. They currently have eight available scholarship players. They have four guys hurt. I believe all of them are guards. Um, So they are, and I believe three of them were projected starters. At least two were. So Oregon has a problem. They don't have guards. They've got Will Richardson. So they got one guy. So, you know, we know Michigan State is not a high ball pressure team like some others can be, even though I think they're a little more like that than they have been in the past. Um, And with their numbers, you would think they certainly wouldn't want to be playing. And they're not going to play a full-court pressure game. We know that. But might they look to attack Oregon's guards a little bit more than normal in the backcourt in this game? I think the answer might be yes. And this is a big game. You know, this is a swing game. So you win this one, you've still got a chance to come out of this tournament 2-1. and 
which considering the circumstances would be fantastic for MSU. So there's a lot to play for. You know, it's more or less on Oregon's home turf. So you have to deal with that. But um, I I think this is, this is a team that can definitely feel like they're they're They've been worse done by lady luck than Michigan state has Um, all the, on the other end of things, they're huge. They're starting two seven-footers. Kalel Ware, who's a, a freshman and a very good one. And then Infale Dante, who's a kid. I think he's a junior now. Junior or senior, but he was a guy that Michigan State looked at uh, in recruiting several years ago and was involved for a minute before he got him. So they, they're playing two seven-footers. Uh, one of the problems they've got, <laughs> they've got a uh, – They've got a kid who's a trans was a transfer uh, a year ago from Syracuse, uh, Quincy Guerrier, and he's kind of in the the Malik Hall situation, except it's not playing out the way that it was for Malik before he got hurt. He's really struggled. So last year he averaged ten points, five point three rebounds a game, shot forty two percent from the field at the four. Now that he's at the three. Um, He's down to seven points and 3.6 rebounds on 24% shooting in five games. That's not shooting from three. That's shooting, period. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's, you know, it's it's tough. Um, I mean, these guys are not, these guards are not coming back tomorrow. They're all out longer term. One of them is out four to six weeks. Um, the, the one who's soonest, they're projecting one of them may be back next week against Washington State. But, um, you know, they're, yeah, I mean, this is, I, I've got a quote from Dana Altman, their coach. You know, our guys are down. We came into the season with big expectations, and Brennan gets hurt. Keyshawn's hurt now. Jermaine's hurt. Guys we were depending on, and we haven't adjusted well. We haven't adjusted well as a coaching staff. We haven't adjusted well playing. Our ball handling is real suspect now. People know that. They get after Will, and they made it really difficult on Will tonight. We're basically out there with four forwards or three forwards and a center. We're going to have to continue to adjust and hope like heck we get some guys healthy here pretty quick. So, you know, that's that's the Oregon story, right? Yeah, so I know – let's see if this sounds familiar to anyone, uh, Michigan State fans listening, you know, who might be posting things on boards. <laughs> so Brendan Rigsby's out with a foot injury. Right. He's doing oh, well, So he's missed at least State another two weeks. Those. Uh, well, I know. I, this actually is news to me, so apparently other people do. Here's Christian Wright is out with a knee injury, uh, torn meniscus. Ethan Butler, undisclosed, uh, questionable injury. So I don't know if he ended up playing today. I have to check to see. Uh, he did not p- play. Uh, then you have Jermaine Cuisinard, who's out with a knee injury. Yeah. Justin Rochlin is out with a knee injury. Sidelines the end, middle of December. Keyshawn Beth- uh, Bartholomew. Out with an ankle injury, and Locke Wurr is uh, undisclosed, and so I'm not sure if he was he ended up playing either. But I mean, yeah, to say he ended up playing two minutes, so he actually played. But you know, it just goes to show. I mean, you didn't hear anyone who had uh, you know a shoulder injury. I mean, they happen, right? We've seen them occasionally, but <laughs> it's ankles right. and knees and feet. This is what happens. <laughs> so right. exactly, yeah, it's it's everybody has it. We don't pay any attention because no one cares about Oregon basketball who's listening to this podcast. <laughs> He's listening, playing Michigan State basketball. We care about Michigan State. We maybe care about the guys down the road, but outside of that, we don't pay much too too much attention. And that's exactly it. All of that is correct. I think in terms of in terms of what tomorrow's game looks like, and we're obviously we're not going to do a full blown, you know, preview with the keys or any of that. But I, I would just say, um, it's it's clearly going to be a battle of Oregon size versus Michigan State's guards. And generally speaking, if you have to choose between those two things, you want the guard play. For sure. Um, I am going to say, though, this is a game where I think Michigan State's shooting clearly needs to be better. And I noticed Oregon playing some zone in that game today. Um, If they do that, as long as Michigan State's ball movement is is back to normal, um, Michigan State should generate a lot of good looks. This is one in particular. I think this is a matchup where Joey Hauser looms very big because um, 
he's going to be guarded by a guy who he's given up a lot of size to. So if that's the case, one, he's got to, he's got to do yeoman's work on the boards, you know, even though he's given up size. But the other thing is Joey's got to hit shots because he's going to have them. They will be, they will present themselves. So he's got to hit shots. And, you know, and that I think will be a big key to the game. I think obviously MSU getting play at the levels they expect from Tyson Walker and AJ Hogard and, and getting something probably from Trey Holloman as well also looms very, very large. Um, Michigan State's guards have to do have to do what we know they're capable of doing. And they, there's no reason they shouldn't be able to because they will have a significant advantage over what Oregon's able to roll out there in terms of guard play. This is going to be a very late game for me and a super late game for all of you. So I don't know, maybe if people are just going to record it and watch the next day, I don't know if I'd stay up for a midnight game. I probably would because it's a, a holiday weekend and stuff. But uh, it, we'll get we'll get coverage out for you after the game. Uh, I'm out here in the West Coast, and so for me, it's not as bad. But again, it's still it's still going to be a late night for me too. So hopefully, everyone had a great uh, Thanksgiving. I'm very thankful, certainly for. I think this team, I still really like this team and I sure. really yeah. like how we're coming together and I know their injuries right now is tough. And so, you know, if the injuries persisted, then I'd be much more sour about the season, but boy, I really like our chances still this season with the big 10. And although to your point earlier, the big 10 is good this year. I mean, I, it's, it's kind of, we'll see what happens to AC big 10 challenge, but it, uh, everything look, looking right now, I mean, even Northwestern's let's, like taking Auburn well, to, yeah, let's, to, let's to the end. I mean, for a second, unfortunately, some of this, some of this stuff has come in losses, which is not ideal. But we had Wisconsin lose by a point to Kansas today. Your Northwestern lose by a point to Auburn. Um, you know, those are games that I wouldn't have expected to be particularly close, and they were. Um, it remains to be seen. This is what I think. I think that it very much is an open question whether the Big Ten has one or more than one team that can legitimately hope to make a final four run. But I think the, uh, I think the odds of that look better to me now than I thought at the start of the season. And what I definitely think is possible is that the league is going to have better depth than it, than it was expected to. I've, I've seen the majority of the league's teams play thus far. Um, you know, Indiana, everybody figured was going to be good. And they, you know, they look, I don't think there's been anything super disappointing about them. Illinois, you know, pretty good to beat UCLA the way they did. That was impressive. And they, they got beat by Virginia down the stretch pretty good. But uh, again, I think Illinois has a right to feel good about themselves. Michigan State, healthy, has a right to feel good about themselves. But you get beyond that, Maryland, and they haven't played anybody really, really good. But they've played yeah. some good opposition, and they're unbeaten, and they've looked good doing it. I think that I did not expect much of Maryland in the first year of Kevin Willard's regime, and to me, they look like a team that maybe could surprise to the upside. Iowa, yeah, they haven't played a super heavyweight thus far, but they did beat Seton Hall on the road and beat them pretty easily. That's a good sign. Um, we talked about Wisconsin, you know, Northwestern. Um, I still think there are some bad teams. Like Minnesota is going to struggle. I think Nebraska Nebraska's is definitely going to struggle. But beyond that, there may not be. You know, it's it's going to be a dogfight. You mentioned Michigan. Michigan's looked absolutely horrendous, but you know, there's enough there that they certainly can be a competitive team at some point. Sure. Well, what that adds up to. Oh, and I'll, I'll throw one more team that I thought has looked pretty good. Ohio State. At, uh, at Maui, they got beat pretty good by San Diego State, and I think that was a first-round game. Well, San mm-hmm. Diego State's pretty good. I saw them play a lot. They're a pretty good team. And Ohio State responded with two straight impressive wins, and I saw some of them uh, earlier this week. That's a team to watch out for. I mean, I know I picked them fourth, so it wasn't – wasn't like I didn't expect them to be good, but I, I think there's real potential for that group. So, yeah, the league's going to be a dog. We haven't even talked about Purdue. 
Purdue's still unbeaten. They're at uh, they're in the other bracket in Portland, the Phil Knight Legacy um, bracket, and uh, you know we'll they're they're probably going to play Gonzaga tomorrow, so that'll be an interesting test for them. But they've played pretty decent basketball in the early going, including today beating West Virginia pretty easily. I would say too. I've watched a couple of Iowa games, and you know, for the three Iowa fans listening to the show here, um, I, I will say I don't, I don't want to be hyperbolic, but I really think Chris Murray looks better than Keegan Murray did at this wow. point of season last year. Wow! Well, and uh, you know, he's he's a he's a better shooter uh, than than Keegan was, and I, I don't know that the rest of the parts around Iowa are well; they're pretty much the same. So it. I would expect them to be about as good, except that they don't have two Murrays. They just have one. And so that'll be the right. one big difference from last right. year's team. And I don't know that the other pieces are really that much better than they were last year. So that may limit them. But as an individual player, I, boy, I, I did not expect that. I really expected Chris to be a, a, a number of steps below Keegan. So we'll see. But that's, you know, another thing that maybe get people worried about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's good. Look, it's going to be shaping people. up to be a very competitive league, which, yeah, that's bad news from Michigan State perspective because, oh, you'd hope that maybe there would be a few more gimmies than we normally see, and that seems to be out the window. But I, I would say on the, on the positive end of that, um, the league's strength is going to pay benefits uh, for everybody, you know, if, yeah. if you don't just don't have a lot of bad losses and conversely, you have the potential for a lot of good wins. That's what you want. Yeah. And Michigan State's definitely racked up two very good wins or I suppose three to this point in the season. Right. Uh, or two, two. Hopefully we'll get another one, get another um, power five win uh, against Oregon tomorrow or today. I guess it depends how you look at it. So, I guess uh, that'll be, we'll wrap it up here and hopefully you guys have a chance to listen to this and then continue to share it with your friends. If you do want to support the show financially, again, we super appreciate that. You can go do that at the final force on the schedule.com slash support. Please check out our website anyway, and just head on over there and you can sign up either to get email notices where I send one out every once in a while. Uh, but also you get notices if we're doing anything and also you can join our bulletin board and be part of the forum. So until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green. Thank you.